If you have your Bible with you this morning, would you turn with me to the book of Nehemiah? Nehemiah chapter 6. As we continue this study through this wonderful book, this historical record of the work of God through the people of God. And uh, we reach this morning in chapter 6 a very, very pivotal point in the story. And it is also a very climactic point. But the way that we see this climax is not with extravagant words. We simply find in verse 15 of chapter 6, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month. E. Law in 52 days. So in 52 days, we find that the wall is finished. And what a climactic point that is. But we want to see more than that this morning from this text. We want to see the need for such a time as this. We want to see that in the midst of this progress, in the midst of the work of the Lord being accomplished, the attacks of the enemy are relentless and increasing. And we want to see that this morning. And we want God to speak to our hearts through his word. Let's pray together. Father, you are holy. You are just and you are good. You're loving and kind and compassionate and patient. And you, O oh God, are the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And you have made a plan and you've always had a plan. And sometimes, Lord, we struggle in our own particular lives to see that plan. And we never see it in full. So help us, Lord, to be people of faith. To trust in you. No matter what circumstance we face. We pray this morning that you will fill your church with men and women of God, men and women of courage, love, compassion, boldness, and perseverance. We pray all of this and more in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, Although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying. Come and let us meet together at Hecapharim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you've also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us counsel, take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you have, as you say, have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us. I want you to pay attention to that phrase, frighten us. Thinking their hands will drop. From the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. You get a feel already for what this chapter is like. And so here we see that in the midst of accomplishing the work of the Lord, there is the relentless attack from the enemy. And we need to learn from that this morning. We need to learn that the attack of the enemy is absolutely relentless. You and I will never reach a day in this life, in this world, 
until the Lord Jesus Christ returns where we are not under attack. And a few sermons back, we looked at the three major enemies of the Christian and the three major enemies of the church, namely the flesh, your own sinful nature, the world around us, the unbelieving world of people and Satan and demon spirits, the spiritual darkness that war against our souls. And they will not stop. They will not stop. And the moment you stop defending yourself and standing, as Ephesians 6, we looked at that one Sunday night together. When you stop standing in the strength and the grace of God and the power and the might of God, clothed in the armor of God, when you stop, you're hit. Every time. Every time. Well, when you think about it, when I came to chapter 6 in the story, it seemed to me that there was just this relentlessness of the enemy. Over and over, we've looked from day one, as it were, watching Nehemiah coming back and facing opposition one after the other. And I thought about what kind of a time that was. A time of constant opposition. A, con- a time of constant conflict and difficulties Trials and persecutions that the people of God and Nehemiah in particular faced. And I thought certainly we are living in desperate times today. As Christians and even all the people in the world in our country, we are experiencing a transition in our culture before our very eyes. It's becoming more and more evident to every one of us that have eyes to see that we are actually living in a time where we are watching a culture shift. We're watching it. We can feel it. You can feel it in the air. You can hear it in the comments. Not only of the people on the street, but politicians and pastors and preachers. We're living in desperate Times. Indeed, some of the cultural Christianity of our day truly did need to change. And I'm thankful for what God is doing in our time in this way. To my knowledge, however, this is the first time in the history of the world that I know, and I don't know, I may be wrong, but the first time in recorded history that a minority within a civil government has arrogated to themselves the authority to declare what is both unbiblical and unnatural to be not only permissible, but defended and protected by law. It's the first time in recorded history that a minority of a civil government has arrogated to itself the authority to define and to uphold what is clearly biblically wrong. And not only make it permissible, but to defend it and to protect it by law. This is a huge culture shift. I'm going to say some things here in rapid fire, but I want to be very careful how I say them. And I'll tell you why. We are often... We are often coined as being bigoted people if we stand for the truth. But I want you to understand that what I'm going to share with you about the desperate times, I want to show you that we are living in urgent times. That's what I want you to see. And I want you to understand that the times that we are living in are desperate. Secularism is on the rise. As well as violence, abortion, theft, murder, poverty, welfare, idolatry, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, fatherless homes, alcohol and drug addiction, pornography, self-consumed, affectionateless mothers, 
emotionally, physically, mentally hurting children. Greed, lies, deception, hate, and confusion. All of those are on the rise. And all you have to do is turn on your television, open your newspaper, or live in this culture that you and I are in. I do not say that haughtily, proudly. Nothing about that makes me happy. I do not say that as one who would make himself to be superior to others in any way. Nevertheless, we are living in desperate times. And what's maybe even more alarming is that the evangelical church has drifted, by and in large, into a consumer-driven, entertainment-minded, anti-doctrinal, lukewarm, physically physical prosperity-loving, sensual, pleasure-seeking, me-centered, nominal group of people that are increasingly becoming biblically illiterate as they tell themselves that they are increasingly secure. I believe that statement is true. Although it does not make me happy to say so. And if you say (laughs) at this point, I really don't like that guy. (laughs) Let me turn your attention to Matthew chapter 24 for just a moment. And read to you what the Lord Jesus Christ said. Matthew 24 verses 3 to 14. Matthew 24, verses 3 to 14. Jesus, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? In other words, the destruction of the temple and the tribulation. When will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ. They will, listen, they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines. And earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And listen, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away. And betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Does it sound similar to what I said? Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. As not only we heard from Jesus himself, but let's hear from the Apostle Paul in his last recorded letter that he wrote. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 9. 2 Timothy 3, 1. But understand this. Then in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people 
For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. These are truly desperate and critical times that we live in. What is the need of the day? What are the needs in this desperate time? What we ultimately need is for God, who made and who sustains this world, To finish his plan. Life is not. Going to turn out. The way that we want it to. But the way God. Has planned it to. And what needs to happen. Is not that I would get my wish. For this nation. But that God would finish his plan. And that's exactly what he's going to do. We are not waiting. For political evolution. To get us where we want and where we need to go. We're waiting for the king of the universe to come. And to rule this world in true righteousness and justice. In true peace and holy love. That's what we're waiting for. But until that glorious day comes. We need a church. To stand in the gap. And to build up the wall. We need a church that is made up of regenerate, blood-bought men and women. Who are relentless in living out their faith and faithfulness to God. In accordance with His divine revelation. As He has revealed Himself to us in the holy book. The Bible. And certainly there are many needs that we see in the scriptures. And there are many needs that are calling to us in this desperate time in which we live. And I don't, neither do I claim to understand all the needs. And even if I did, and even if we were to tackle the ones that I do believe we see in the scripture, we do not have time in this gathering to learn and know them all. But what I want us to see from the life and the leadership of Nehemiah in in Nehemiah chapter 6 are four needs for such a time as this. But before we get to it, let's go back and think for a moment about what we're up against. So if you want to take a note here, this is what I would have you write. The enemy's continued tactics. The enemy's Continued tactics. The reason I say continued is because, as I mentioned earlier, we are looking over and over and over. We're just seeing opposition after opposition. We have noticed and pointed out along the way the different tactics that the enemy has used in Nehemiah's day. And we've tried as best we can by the help of God to apply that to your and to my life and to our life together as a church. And so I have two tactics that I want to share and then four needs for such a time as this. Number one, tactic. The tactic is twofold of distract and ensnare. The tactic of distract and ensnare. Now, it doesn't sound like a very dangerous tactic. Distraction. But I assure you today, one of the greatest problems with the church of Jesus Christ is she is distracted. She is distracted from her mission. She is distracted from her call as a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is a serious tactic because the church, as we look around, you you can be ensnared by distraction easier than you can be by immorality. You know why? Because we live in a culture that still appreciates to a certain degree morality. And so everybody wants to be moral. Everybody wants to be ethical. 
And so, you know, you're going to do pretty much what's right on the outside, you know, while people are watching. But to be distracted is one of the subtle tactics of the enemy that has an ensnaring effect. Look again, if you would, in verse 2. Samballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together. But they intended to do me harm. So in that phrase, we see Nehemiah is hard at the work of the Lord. He's being faithful in what God has called him to do. And he is, he is this message comes to him, this message from the enemy with what attempt? Well, he says he found out that it was an attempt to harm him. But it also would have served as a distraction because if you look at his response, he says in verse 3, I am do you tell them, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Why should I stop the work and come down to you? Why should the work stop so that I can be distracted and come and talk with you men? And so it is often easy, my friends. To be pulled into a debate or to be pulled into a cause. It, it can be a seemingly good cause. But if it is not the discipling of the saints and the evangelizing of the lost, you're off track. You are off track. Now, we have other things that we're going to do, no doubt, but they are only means to those two ends. The evangelism of the lost. With the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the discipling of those that are converted. That is the mission of the church. That is the wall that we are building. That is the work of the Lord. Jesus said all authority is given unto me. Both in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. The Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things. That I have taught you and that is our mission. And it's easy to be pulled into a debate. It's easy to be pulled into an endeavor that distracts you from your calling. Just ask yourself, is that the mission of my life? Anybody can come. This comes from love, nothing but love. Anybody can come and sit in church on Sunday morning. <laughs> That doesn't make you a Christian. I'll give you a little comic relief. Any more than your car sitting in your garage makes it a car. If you go and sit in the garage, you don't become a car. Coming and sitting in the church on Sunday mornings doesn't make you a Christian. Is the mission of the Lord the mission of the servant? We can often be pulled and distracted. By performance-driven, culturally acceptable moralism, which is crippling the church. We're often pulled into quarrels, as they attempt to do here, that only serve to distract and often lead to more harm than good. Sometimes the quarrels that you get in that you feel like you must engage in only do more harm than good. And it takes a great deal of discernment to know when to speak and when to remain silent. There's no cut and dry scripture or catchphrase that I can give you to tell you when to speak and when to remain silent. That takes Holy Spirit discernment. Look, if you will, in First uh, Timothy 6. First Timothy chapter 6, we find a warning along these lines. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 2. He says, verse 3. Let's jump down to verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil 
suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. And so there you see him saying that there are people that are going to try to get you into the debate, into these quarrels about words and and that only serve to stir up strife and contention among people. Second Timothy chapter two. Second Timothy chapter two. In one sense, first and second Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to remind Timothy not to be distracted. You can write that down. In one very real sense, the reason Paul wrote to Timothy is to tell this young man in the faith, younger than him, he wasn't, he's probably older than me, but he said, um, don't be distracted from the work of the church. Don't be distracted. Uh, let me just give you a, a snippet in, in uh, yeah, I said that word too. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what do you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses? Entrust to faithful men. Here's discipleship. What you've received, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. Or pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And so you can go on and read the whole of chapter 2. That this is the call to this man in the faith, this pastor of the church. In verse 14 he says, remember, remind them of those things. Charge them before God, what? Not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Look down at the end of Uh, That chapter in verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. But kind to everyone. Able to teach. Patiently enduring evil. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. I love this verse. I love this verse. Because it is balanced. It doesn't leave us like this. Silent. It tells us don't be quarrelsome. But, in verse 25, correct your opponents. (laughs) Speak! Don't be quarrelsome. So there must be a difference in speaking and quarreling. And we have to know what that is. Pray that we would be that way. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance. Leading them to a knowledge of the truth. That they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil After being captured by him to do his will. And so here we see again and again in the New Testament. We see it in the life of Nehemiah. The tactic of distract and ensnare. Number two. What was the word that I had you to remember as we read the chapter six of Nehemiah? I said, pay attention to this word, this phrase. Afraid. Afraid. The second tactic is the tactic of fear. If you look back in Nehemiah 6 verse 9. Nehemiah 6 verse 9. For they all wanted to frighten us. Thinking. And so they wanted to frighten them. They used the tactic of fear. But what was the aim? What was their goal in frightening the people of Israel? He he tells us. they, They wanted to frighten us. Thinking. Quote. Their hands will drop from the work. And it will not be done. So the tactic of fear is used to stop the work of the Lord. Fear of what? Fear of physical harm or loss. The fear of failure. The fear of the opinions of other people. 
That's probably the biggest one that I mentioned to you this morning. The fear of the opinions of other people. I want you to write this down or remember this when you go home. I want to ask you as a child of God to pray and ask the Lord if there is any area in your life that the opinions of what other people think are driving your actions and driving your words. Ask yourself that in prayer. The tactic of fear. Jesus says, however, in Luke chapter 12, verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. The Apostle Peter, writing to a persecuted church in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Don't be scared. Be ready to give an answer. All right. Switch gears. Four needs for such a time as this. Dealing with those tactics. Number one, the need for divine strength. The need for divine strength. If you look back at verse 9 again, as he says, For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop and the work will cease. And it will not be done. Notice that here he says, But now, O God, strengthen my hands. The need of Nehemiah's day and the need, one of the needs of our day is to have divine strength. To persevere. To continue in the work faithfully. And not falter along the way. How easy it is to falter. (laughs) I used to think that, you know, Christian ministry would be just, I mean, if you just preach the word, it would just all come together, right? But but that's because I had a preconceived notion of what the the coming together was going to look like. But now I see that that that's not up to me. It's up to the Lord. My life... Is going to turn out the way he designed it. Not the way I want it to. But I'm okay with that. Are you? I'm okay with God's plan. I'm okay with that. As a matter of fact, I love it. It frees me from fear. It frees me from your opinions. And the opinions of the world. Or anybody else's opinion. Now I care about what brothers and sisters have to say. I'm not superior to criticism. I want it. But I don't fear it. Not because I'm arrogant. But because I trust. In God. Divine strength to persevere in the work. The famous verse Philippians 4.13. I can do. All things through Christ. Who strengthens me. I love this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. That Paul prays. You don't have to turn if you don't like. But in Ephesians 3 he prays. For the church. And I encourage you to use these prayers. In your own prayer lives. I want you to pray it for me. And for this church for sure. Listen to what he prays for. In Ephesians 3.14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. From whom every family. In heaven and on earth. Is named. That according to the riches. Of his glory. He may grant you to be. Here it is. Strengthened with power. Through his spirit where? In your inner being. So that. So if that happens. This will happen. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. May have strength. To comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ. That surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's a prayer. 
To be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for the disciples of Jesus Christ among the nations of the world. But it will not happen by compromising the word of God. It will not happen in a lukewarm environment. So, that's number one. The need for divine strength. Second, the need for vigilance. Vigilance. You know what that word is? Watchfulness. Watchfulness. Have you ever tried to sneak up on a cat? It's hard to do, isn't it? Why? Because they're always watching. They're vigilant. They're on guard. So that nothing can sneak up on them and attack and overpower them. Careful watchfulness. I started to use the illustration of turkeys, but you know, that's just comical. (laughs) But it's true. It is totally true. You can't sneak up on a turkey. I guarantee you can't do it. Unless he's blind. if, If he's blind, you might be able to. But turkeys can almost see 360 degrees because of the way their eyes are positioned on their heads. They have these little small heads. And um, they can see so well. They're watchful, constantly watchful. Because if they don't watch, they will die. Because they have a lot of enemies. Well, my friends, we have a lot of enemies. And, and, And the Apostle Peter writes and he says, Be vigilant because your adversary is like a roaring lion. He goes about seeking whom he may devour. So our, our adversary is like a huge cat. He's like a lion. He's the one that creeps up on you. He's the one that sneaks up undetected and pounces and attacks and devours his prey. That is our adversary. So we have to be what? Vigilant. We have to be watchful, carefully watching. Do not be taken by surprise. Be aware. Be aware. How can you be aware? Stay in God's word. Know what it says. Understand what it means. Memorize it. Meditate upon it. How often? I long for this. How often? Day and night. Where is the church? I call you. I call you out. Where is the church? Where is the church? That lives the way that the Bible reads. Meditate on the word day and night. He should be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. That brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he does shall prosper. Matthew 26, 41. Jesus says, watch and pray. Watch. Pray with one eye open. No, that's not what it means. It means to be watchful. It means to be vigilant. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful. I I like this verse too. It says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. (laughs) Isn't that great? Act like men, unless you're a woman. Act like men. In other words, be strong in the Lord. Stand. Be watchful. Be vigilant. Be firm in the faith. And I do want to say to the men, be men. Be a man. Be a man of God. Number three, the third need. Not only do we need divine strength and vigilance, but thirdly, we need prayerfulness. Prayerfulness. And since we've talked about prayer so often, I still want you to see it. Nehemiah is a man of prayer. He is a man of prayer. He's not a man who prays. He's a man of prayer. There's a difference. You see it in verse 9. You see it in verse 14. The dangers are many. The enemies are many and relentless. The flesh is weak. And we need divine strength. And how do you receive it? Through prayer. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. You have not because you ask not. If you find yourself in a constant battle into which you are always failing, you don't need to increase your willpower to do better. 
you need to increase your prayer life that God will give you strength to do better. It is the work of the Lord that we are doing and he will sustain it through prayer. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I tell you, you're Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He wins. He wins. Psalm 62, 11, once God has spoken twice, I've heard this, the power, that power belongs to God. Psalm 68, 35, awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. And number four, the fourth need for such a time as this is the need of courage. The need of courage. It takes courage to live the Christian life. It takes courage to remain faithful to Jesus Christ at work, at home. Many of you, listen, go home and ask God. If you're asking Him, you know, are you being persuaded? Are you acting on the opinions of men or the Word of God? Go ahead and throw this prayer in there. Am I courageously standing upon the word of God, what thus says the Lord, or am I being persuaded by the fear of offending my family member, or offending my neighbor, or offending my co-worker, or offending my brother or sister in Christ, and see what the Lord reveals Courage is necessary in such a time as this, and it will increasingly be the case. Because as we talked about the culture in which we live and the desperate times that we live in, my friend, we haven't seen anything yet. Courage is the call of the hour. And I I was struck remarkably by Revelation 21.8. In Revelation 21.8, In giving a list of the things that will be cast into the lake of fire. The first thing on the list. Is cowardice. Cowardice. Isn't that remarkable? I mean that. Revelation 21.8. But as for the cowardly. A lot of people are remaining in unbelief today because they're cowards. Because they do not have the strength and the courage to stand for what is right. And they won't. And they'll be cast into hell. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable. As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We need in this desperate time in which we live a God-centered, God-trusting courage if we're going to live out the Christian faith and to live in faithfulness to God and our Lord Jesus Christ in the world. The call of our time is to stand with loving courage for the advancement of the gospel, for the honor of Jesus Christ, and for the advancement of His kingdom on earth. And it takes courage to continue to live In faith and faithfulness to God. In the midst of his enemies. But in verse 15 we found that the wall was finished. The work was accomplished. And you and I can succeed this morning. If we are given a God-centered. God-given. Courage. I pray that for you. You'll be bold as lions and gentle as lambs. You've got to have that balance. Bold as lions, willing to die for the truth. Are you willing to die for the truth? Are you willing to suffer whatever loss may come for the truth? For the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the glory of God. For the evangelization of the lost world. I want to end giving you a story of courage 
for the life of a missionary named John G. Patton. You need to get his biography. Banner of Truth Trust publishes. It's an autobiography. Three volumes it used to be. It's in one volume now. John G. Patton. He was a missionary on the island of Tana. Tana was, is one of the islands of the New Hebrides Islands. In 1858, when he went, he went there in advance. He prepared a little house. He came back later to bring his wife, who was pregnant, Mary, with a baby. And on February the 12th, 1859, he says, quote, Our, our island exile thrilled with joy. But the greatest of sorrows was treading hard upon that great joy. Mary had repeated attacks of ague, fever, pneumonia, delirium. And after two weeks, for two weeks it went on. And then he says, quote, Then in a moment, altogether unexpectedly, she died on March the 3rd. To crown my sorrows and complete my loneliness, the dear baby boy whom we had named after her father, Peter Robert uh, Robson, was taken from me after one week's sickness on the 20th of March. Let those who have ever passed through any similar darkness as of midnight feel for me. As for all others, it would be more than vain to try to paint my Sorrows. And yet he went on. With courage and love and dedication and vigilance and prayerfulness, he went on to preach the gospel to the natives who were cannibals. There was no church there, no Christians, but him, one Christian, one man who had boldness, courage, Faith to do the work of the Lord. He dug the grave with his two hands, buried them beside the house. And he says, quote, Stunned by that dreadful loss and entering upon this field of labor to which the Lord had himself so evidently led me, my reason seemed for a time almost to give way. The ever merciful Lord sustained me. It's what we're preaching about. And that spot became my sacred and much frequented shrine. During all the following months and years when I labored on for the salvation of the savage islanders amidst difficulties, dangers, and deaths. But for Jesus and the fellowship he vouched to me there, I must have gone mad and died beside the lonely grave. And so he took courage, not only to risk that happening, but to continue on after it did happen. He says, quote, I felt her loss beyond all conception or description in that dark land. It was very difficult to be resigned, left alone and in sorrowful circumstances. But feeling, listen to this, but feeling immovably assured that God That my God and Father was too wise and loving to err in anything that he does or permits. I looked up to the Lord for help and struggled on in his work. There's the people that we want to see. That's who we want to be. We want to follow this example. Who who can you look to today and say, that guy, that woman, I want to be like them. We need this kind of God-centered, God-trusting courage today. We will suffer temporary losses in this life, but the gains are far greater. And the gains are more glorious than we can imagine. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11, 12, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And here's his word to you this morning. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so persecuted, for so they persecuted the prophets which were before you. We need courage today. Courage at home, 
Courage at work. Courage in your neighborhood. Courage in raising your children. Courage in loving your spouse. Courage at school. We need vigilance. We need prayerfulness. To be men and women of prayer. Not just men and women who pray. And we need divine strength. Let me pray with you. Father, the enemy is relentless and increasing. The need is great. The flesh is weak. The struggle is long. But, oh God, this morning, you are worth it all. So we bow this morning to ask you for these things, that we may be men and women who are given the divine strength to stand and to resist, that we would be given the strength from your hand to remain faithful to the work that you've called us to in making disciples who make disciples by spreading the seed of the gospel everywhere and helping those developed spiritually who are converted. We pray to you this morning that you will lead us to be men and women of prayer. We pray this morning that you will cause us to be ever watchful. Help us, O Lord, to have discerning eyes to see. To see the schemes of Satan, ever how subtle they may be, we would notice them and not be distracted Not be pulled aside by lesser things. Not be pulled aside by anger. Not be pulled aside by jealousy. Not be pulled aside with quarrels that lead to nothing but destruction. But help us to stay vigilant. And give us courage. The world needs that. The church needs it. And the church needs to be it. So help us, we pray. Through Christ, we pray. We ask through his blood and righteousness and for his glory. And we do it all in his name. And amen.